0: How often do women feel comfortable going somewhere alone? Do we drive somewhere alone? Do we go to a park alone? Do we go out to a movie alone? We should be able to live in a world where the answer is always yes. And in 1976, 18-year-old Cynthia Hernandez decided to go see the movie The Omen on her own. She never returned. It takes nearly 40 years to learn what happened that night. This is her story. Hi, I'm Vanessa and I'm Amy
1: and you're listening to she goes by Jane at the end of this episode and every episode we will be joined by a special guest who will read an original poem by Amy Baker about the women we're featuring this week we will be joined by actor Gabrielle
0: Ruiz hi Vanessa hi Amy how often do you go places by yourself
1: not that often
0: yeah, I was actually trying to think about this earlier. Like, do I go anywhere by myself? I mean, it's partially because, like, as a mom, like, I'm always toting along my kid. Right. Someplace.
1: Exactly. I think that's for me, too. Like, I've always either got my husband or my one of my kids with me.
0: Right. But even, like, anytime, like, I try to go someplace alone, like, I want to go to the store alone, like, I will be like, I'm going. And then, like, someone in my household will just be like, I'm coming with you. So... Yeah. Even when I try to make an attempt to get out there on my own, it's just, it never happens.
1: Yeah. It doesn't work. No, I don't, I don't even, I don't know. Cause like sometimes I'll use those little shopping trips as an opportunity to like catch up with a friend too. Right. Or we'll meet and, and have like a quick discussion while we run around Target or something. But um, no, I very rarely go and just do something by myself.
0: Yeah. Have you ever seen a movie by yourself?
1: No, I haven't.
0: I haven't either. I was like, Thinking about this question, because that's what the topic of our episode is today. I mean, it isn't the topic, but it touches on that. And I don't think I have ever seen a movie in a movie theater by myself.
1: I have not. I think I'd enjoy it, but I don't, I haven't.
0: Yeah. But I know plenty of people who do all the time. I just, maybe we all should. Probably. By ourselves. This is a, a longer story with some very important details. So... We're, we're gonna dive in. It's August 26, 1976, and the omen had just come out the month before. And 18 year old Cynthia Hernandez wants to go see it. Her boyfriend is homesick in bed and her friend Marsha is out of town in Palm Springs. so she decides to go on her own. And now Cynthia isn't really one to go to the movies by herself either. In fact, this actually might be the first and only time, but she wants to get out of the house.
1: Well, it's good for her for wanting to go and do it.
0: Yeah. I mean, earlier that day, she had auditioned for the Citrus College Singers. Now, Citrus College is a community college in Glendora, California, where Cynthia lives. And she has just graduated from Charter Oak High School in Covina that summer and was set to attend Citrus for that first semester. So she's away from home right now? no, so she's she's living at home, ok. and going to like the local community college in very shortly. And before she sort of starts her first semester, she's trying out for their their singing group. So that's what she's doing that. Day. ok.
1: So this theater is in her hometown,
0: yeah. So she lives in Glendora. And she went to high school in Covina because they're side by side. Because this area of, it's near Los Angeles, it's it's pretty densely populated. But so she's familiar with these areas. So lives in Glendora, college is in Glendora, and her high school was in Covina. So is Cynthia still living at
1: home at this point?
0: Yeah, and I think she intends to stay living at home because... The college that she's going to is in the same area as her, her home. So I think that's the intent. Okay. Now, Cynthia was the winner of Charter Oak High School's Most Valuable Alto Award, but she was still really nervous for this audition. She'd wanted to join this group of singers and they were considered pretty exclusive. That afternoon after she was done auditioning, her mom saw her and she says that Cynthia was grinning ear to ear. She said that she thought she sounded terrible at the audition, but that the choral director really liked it. Her mom would later say that Cynthia had a nervous energy about the whole thing, which makes sense because she'd been hoping to join this group of singers. So it went well and she came home, and I think she was just kind of like energized by it.
1: Kind of that space we all go into when we're like
0: excited and nervous about something at the same time. Right, right. Like, where do you put all that energy? This is what leads her to decide to go to the movies when her boyfriend and friend couldn't go. So she says goodbye to her mom, and she heads to the Fox Twin Theaters in Covina to catch the 10.30 p.m. showing of The Omen. Oh, so she's going to a late show, too. Yes. Yeah, I think probably, like, you know, it's you're not ready to go to bed. You're kind of, like, energized and jazzed up by, like, what happened. So I think she was just like, I'll just go. Mm -hmm. Right. Her mother, Gloria... She gets up the next morning at 4.45 a.m. to head to work at a trailer manufacturing place in San Bernardino, and she notices that her daughter is not home. So Gloria calls Cynthia's boyfriend to see if he knows anything, but he doesn't. He's not heard from her either. Was her car home or anything? No. So her car's not home. Cynthia's not there. So when her mom calls, the boyfriend is understandably upset, Because she's not home, she's not with him, and something feels amiss. But for some reason, maybe kind of to reassure herself, Gloria starts thinking, like, as long as Cynthia's with her car, then she's fine. I think that would probably be, like, the hope, right? Right. Right. That, like, this will kind of all work out. Something's just happened. We'll find her. Now, Gloria has to go to work. So she has her fiancé, Tom, and her son, Cynthia's older brother, Maury, go look for Cynthia. They drive to the Fox Twin Theaters where Cynthia went to the movies, and they're going to go see if they can find out anything. Do they? Yeah. What they find is Cynthia's 1963 white Chevy station wagon. It's in the parking lot of the restaurant next door to the movie theater but cynthia's not there gloria said that as soon as she got the call about the car being found she knew something terrible had happened and by the time she got there the police had already been called so are they considering it a missing person's case at this point not initially um the police initially really brushed this off um and we kind of see this over and over That, you know, maybe she ran away and she's 18 and so she's an adult and she has a right to be gone if she wants to. And so they kind of brush this off as a potential adult person who's decided to leave. But
1: really, this is a teenage girl who went to the movies. They found her car, but they didn't find her. Right. This doesn't seem like something you'd brush
2: off.
0: No. And Gloria is really not having it. Like the family in particular starts to notice things right away. So first, the car is clearly not parked next to the theater. And since it's a Thursday night showing of a movie that's already been out for the month, it's not likely that the theater was packed enough that she needed to park that far away. Right. How far is it? So they're next to each other, but like she didn't park in the movie theater parking lot so it's not like a shared parking lot situation it doesn't seem to be so okay or you know even if they're like adjacent or touching like why would you take those extra steps at 10 30 at night right yeah yeah and it doesn't seem like the movie theater was packed at the time second the car was backed into its spot and this is not something her family thought cynthia would do because she was bad at backing up into parking spots okay so it's looking to them like someone else Reparked her car. That's what they're assuming. Something is up because these two things do not match with the situation. And they would know their daughter. Right. Right. They know her habits. And so they're really like. And the third thing is that the windshield wipers are set to the on position, even though it hasn't been raining. Why would that be? I'm not sure. Right. So all of those things, though, are clues that like something is amiss. But Police are not really that concerned because despite all those things, like nothing else seems out of place. There's no signs of a struggle and no one has reported seeing her or anything odd that night. Do we ever know if she actually made it into the movie theater? No one knows for certain. No one that they spoke to who was at the theater that night reports seeing her in either case. And so did she make it into the theater or not? Were unsure and that's never really resolved
1: so we'll never know if she got to go to the movie or not
0: right they question people they hadn't seen her but also i think you know when i go to the theater and leave could i identify anyone who is in the theater with me probably not i could (laughs)
1: but usually when i go to the movie theater to be fair i try to pick times that aren't very popular But I'm just thinking because she's going at 1030 at night on a movie that's been out for a month that somebody might have noticed her, especially a young woman alone.
0: Maybe. But, like, you know, it's dark. You're there to watch a scary movie. I don't know. Maybe you're not looking around. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not definitive. It's unfortunate
1: that we don't pay enough attention to other people to know that
0: sometimes, too. Yeah. Yeah. So police, they're really not concerned, but they do talk to some of Cynthia's family and friends. And I think this is what starts to solidify that something has gone wrong and that the police start paying a little bit more attention because what they find out seemed to change their mind about her being a potential runaway. They learn that Cynthia was well-liked by everyone. No one had anything bad to say about her. In addition to singing, in high school, she'd played volleyball, football, and baseball. And she just started dating the December before and had only gone out with three guys. And she really loved her family and home. And she was described as a homebody. So nothing is matching up with someone who is having a hard time or was dissatisfied with her life at all. Not your typical runaway, according to the police. According to the police, right. Right. So those things really resonated with them and they began to realize that it was unlikely that she would have left. And so Glendora Police Lieutenant Jim Tedrow said, this is apparently a girl who was close to her family who was really looking forward to school. And Sergeant Wayne Fitz echoes that and says, no one had anything bad to say about Cindy Hernandez. She's the kind of girl you want to find and marry. Wait, what? I know. Who would say that? Wait, was that a... Police officer saying that? Yes.
1: Mmm. Not
0: cool, Mr. Police Officer. She got his stamp of approval. Yeah. For, what a good girl that. she was. Yeah. The marrying type. The marrying type. But kind of translating dude speak, you know, I, you know, they're really trying to say is like there's no one in her life that seemed to have meant her harm. And also, you know, she seemed pretty happy and well adjusted and looking forward to her future in college and her singing. Okay, so she had endless
1: potential, not just, so we'll scratch the wifey part. Right.
0: <laughs> so finally, four days into this, they decide to dust four fingerprints, her car. Four days.
1: Could things have been disturbed in that four days?
0: I'm not sure. You know, sometimes you see where they've, like, taken the car and they've, like, secured it in another location. I didn't see any indication of that but, you know, four days in, they're dusting it. Now, it does seem that they did take some fingerprints from it, but, like, there was so little reported about her case early on, I can't say too much about what they found with those fingerprints. And at this point, understandably, Cynthia's family doesn't think that the police are doing enough. Gloria... Gloria's fiance, Tom, Gloria's other children, and Cynthia's boyfriend, basically everyone they can kind of gather, start looking for her on their own. So the family, they're looking in empty lots, they're driving around, they're stopping by apartments, Gloria starts using pay phones to call around places because she doesn't want to tie up her household phone line in case a call comes in. And she's communicating everything she finds out to Cynthia's dad, who's living in Texas. And they talk daily so that she can give him updates. But none of this work on their side or the police's side is yielding any results.
1: Are the police working with the mom at all? Or it's, are they like two separate searches happening right now?
0: It really seems that like Gloria and her family are are pushing forward their own kind of investigation because... They're just not getting what they want. Right. They're just desperate at this point. Yeah. So Gloria is both hopeful, but also aware that things aren't good. She feels immediately that Cynthia has been abducted, and she knows that Cynthia would have fought back in those circumstances. Apparently, Cynthia and her brother, who is over six feet, would wrestle, and she'd be able to throw him around. But the fact that no one has heard or seen Cynthia isn't good. Gloria says, I have complete faith in my God, but it's just not logical that someone's going to kidnap somebody and then turn them loose. She's not wrong. Right. You know, so she's at this point hopes for her return, but I think is well aware of the potential of what could happen. Right. In her quest to find answers, Gloria even consults a card reader who tells her that Cynthia's been kidnapped but is alive and will return home. But on the given date that they indicate that she'll return, Cynthia doesn't appear. Like tarot cards? I get that sense, yeah. Okay. Yeah. The one direction that Gloria wants police to go in is to locate a man who gave Cynthia and a friend a ride home earlier that summer. Cynthia and her friend had been selling vacuums and their supervisor brought them to a neighborhood about 30 miles away where they had no appointments scheduled to show off these vacuum cleaners. So he wants them to go door to door to try to sell them. So he's having two teenage women?
1: Yes. Going door to door to sell vacuum cleaners. Right. Okay.
0: And Cynthia and her friend don't feel safe in this neighborhood that he is selected. And they try to refuse. And he says if they do that, like, he is going to leave them there. Nice. Yeah. Nice guy. They, in fact, still refuse. And so he leaves them. He ditches them, like, 30 miles from home.
1: Mm. Okay.
0: And so a uh, man... He overhears this, and he's like, I'm sorry that happened to you. I can drive you back. And so they accept a ride from them. He's younger. And later on, he starts calling Cynthia repeatedly, asking her for a date.
1: Oh, okay. So he wasn't just a nice guy either.
0: Yeah, he was really hoping to angle for a... Wow. The guys update. in the story so far aren't coming out very well. Yeah, that's just going to continue. Really. Oh, no. Um, so she turns him down every time he calls repeatedly and every time she turns him down. And he had just called the day before she disappeared and seemed incredibly upset this time that she said no. Do we know who this guy is? Gloria does not. She just knows, like, some vague details about him that You know, Cynthia had told her and she doesn't even know his real name. So she's just trying to get like anyone who might have recognized him because this is her only clue. Well,
1: and it's looking like a big one right now.
0: Right, because it's the only one they have. And that's where the case really remains for the next 30 something years. Really? Yeah. Yeah nothing more comes from it we never find out who that guy is we never. We are never gonna find out who that guy is but we do find out a lot more so this is one of the few cases that we're going to be covering in which the case has been solved and so we're going to go back and talk about what actually happened the night she disappeared we know what happened now
1: we do Okay, how did how did this become solved 30 years later? Do we need
0: to do we need to talk about that? We're going to talk about that. It's which is the the next bit here, it's it's complicated and I have many feelings about it. I'm just going to present them to you to see if you have the same questions that I have and I am sure our listeners will have about the progression of this. We'll be back in
2: a moment.
0: On the night of her disappearance, the man who's going to end up being Cynthia's killer pulled up next to her outside the theater. He specifically liked to hunt teens and women. What do you mean hunt? What does that mean? He's definitely like a crime opportunist. Okay. And so it's likely that he just saw her there. He pulls up next to her and pulls a knife on her and then using that knife forces her into the back of his truck where it's likely that he intended to rape her. But Gloria was right. Cynthia is a fighter and he puts his knife down so that he can use both hands to tie her up and Cynthia fights back. He's not expecting this and he panics and strangles her there. So he killed her in the parking lot at the movie theater. That is my understanding of what happens. And that's what he said.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: This man is young. He is close to Cynthia's age. But- that feels unexpected too. I know. With
1: most most of what you've been telling me, like other stories, yeah, not usually
0: that young. Yeah, he's in his early twenties. Okay. And she's eighteen. Yeah. He's done this before, though in 1974 so two years prior he along with a friend kidnapped a 17 year old girl roughly 15 miles away in chino california he used a knife then as well and he along with his friend drove her to another area where they raped her did they kill her they did not she was let go Both of those men were arrested for this, and it sounds like they were both convicted for this crime. But again,
1: like a lot of the other stories you tell me, he obviously didn't serve enough jail time.
0: He did not spend much time in jail, no. And now this killer, he ends up buying or running an auto detailing shop in Covina. So that's where the movie theater is. So, it would have been likely that he frequented this area that Cynthia was in, which means this was kind of a crime of opportunity. She just happened to cross paths with him that night.
1: Wrong place, wrong time. Just this guy was just going to look for anyone who's by themselves.
0: Yes. So, he has killed Cynthia. And this is all when she arrives, right? Well, they don't know if it's
1: before. Oh, or after. we don't know if it's before or after yeah. the movie at this point. Okay.
0: Yeah. So, we don't know the timing of this and he doesn't seem to have given indication okay so he's killed cynthia and he takes her body to the san bernardino mountains about an hourish away where his family owns a cabin in the lake arrowhead twin peaks area and he buries her body in a shallow grave is this his first murder it seems to be yes okay that october 14th so Cynthia went missing on August 26th, a dog owner. That same year? Yeah. Ooh, Okay. A dog. It's up. Well, I know what's coming next. In the th- This dog owner lives in the Lake Arrowhead area and sees his dog with a human skull between its paws. hmm So dog walkers find a lot of
1: things. Yes. Which yes. we now know. We're learning this. Mm -hmm. And it just keeps getting confirmed over and over again.
0: Yeah. 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 The dog owner turns the skull over to the police. And this is where things start to get a little bit questionable to me. They assume that the skull is from an older Native American burial. What would make them think this?
1: I have no clue. Is there a Native American burial ground
0: nearby to the cabin? Well... I'm not sure, but, like, they just really brushed this off. But, like, I'm no scientific expert. But it seems to me like there would be some noticeable difference between a an older skull that had been buried for quite some time and a newer skull situation that had been there for slightly more than a month. Right. I feel like there would be a huge
1: difference... But I mean, they put the effort out with the backstory and everything. So they're
0: gonna—are they sticking to that backstory? They pretty much are. Like we don't know, and they—they kind of put it wherever they personally have been storing skulls. (laughs) Where they've been (laughs) storing the skulls?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I've been holding that in. (laughs) Skull storage locker. Hey, Larry, put it with the other skulls. (laughs)
0: It's the third locker. Feels like that. Yeah. Yeah. Skull storage. Then in November of 1977, so the following year to Cynthia's disappearance and the finding of the skull, two teenage girls are kidnapped in West Covina. Now, two of them? Yes. Okay. They're 16 and 17. Cynthia's killer, as well as two of his friends, pull up alongside them as they're walking down the sidewalk, and they offer the girls a ride. Once inside, they ask the girls if they want to come to a party, but instead, they're kidnapped. So he's, like, making, like, a career out
1: of this at this point.
0: Right, so it's, it's, we've got this pattern that is happening. These teenagers are taken to three different locations. The first is the house where the two friends lived, then to an abandoned car wash, and then the killer's family cabin. This is the place that we know he buried Cynthia at. Okay. Just curious, did they ever say why he parked the car?
1: No. Ah. Uh, okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, and it's not even clear. Like that never resolves. Okay. That like, never. Yeah. It's just it goes yeah. away now.
1: Mm-hmm. So anyone curious about that? Stay curious. (laughs) Stay curious, basically. Yeah. Okay, so now you told me that he's taking these girls to these three locations. They're alive this whole time? Yes. So why is he taking them to each spot? Do you know?
0: Uh, So the girls are held for six
1: days. Whoa. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Did he let them go?
0: They are let go. During their six days of captivity, they are raped and Cynthia's killer also threatens to kill them during this time period. This is horrible. Mm-hmm. And the teens and their, the killer's friends, they also say that while they were at the cabin, he showed them bones and said that they were from, and this is his phrasing, a Mexican girl that he killed. Okay. Now, you're saying he has
1: friends multiple? Yeah. There are multiple men involved in knowing all of this, and nobody turns him in?
0: Well, so these friends are, are also different than the friend in the 1974 case. So. Seriously?
1: So, so he has just a ton of friends that are willing to see him doing
0: this stuff and not say anything about it? Well, because also they're all participants in it, too. So in the 1974 case, both him and the other person are sexually assaulting the teenager. And in this case, it's all three of them as well. The story is terrifying. Why are there so many of them? Right. The teens are eventually let go in their own hometown of Azusa after they've been given $50 each and told not to tell anyone. $50 of hush money for six days of rape and death threats. Yes. Mm Mm-hmm. But thankfully, the teenagers, they immediately go to police. Good. They leave police to the home of the two friends. But when police go to arrest them, they're at work. Instead, they arrest the mom of one of the men who they believe knew the teens were being held. Did she know? I I believe it, like that was the assumption. I think so. Gosh,
1: even the women in the story aren't good. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So the friends eventually turn themselves in and Cynthia's killer is arrested at his home later. And investigators are given information about the bones at the cabin. They're told that this is what happened, that they were shown bones and we told that he had killed someone. And this is when the Los Angeles County investigators call a captain at the San Bernardino Sheriff's Department, Jerome Ringhofer, and let him know what's going on in San Bernardino. Okay, so I have a question. So how long is all this after Cynthia disappeared? So we are slightly more than a year out from her disappearance. So this
1: is slightly more than a year out. We basically have like, a, we have a skull, we have bones, we have a confession. Mm-hmm. But at the beginning of the story, you told me that it would take 30 years to solve it. Yeah. I'm not keeping up with your math right now.
0: That's because the math does not math here. So there's more. Yeah. Yeah. So LA County sends some crime lab personnel to the cabin, and they tell Jerome Ringhofer, the San Bernardino Sheriff's Department guy, that there's a grave in the forest, And so, Drum and the others, they search this area, and then he goes back to look more around the cabin. And he decides to look under the cabin, and that's where he finds five rib bones underneath the porch. Are they Cynthia's? Yes, but they don't know yet. So, all the bones
1: they're finding are all Cynthia's in the different location.
0: So, these bones, they confirm the story that the girl said and that the friends told investigators. But at this point, those are considered two separate instances. The skull that was found that was believed to be from a Native American burial, questionably so, and the rib bones underneath the porch of this guy's family cabin. Okay. And I can't believe... That I'm saying this, but the men, including Cynthia's killer, they seem to face charges of kidnapping and assault of the teens, but that's really where the story about the bones pauses for a long time. I can't find any indication that they pursued anything for the discovery of this bones or the testimony or statements from the teenage girls and the men who said he said he killed someone. So we're just completely ignoring the fact that this guy probably murdered
1: at least one person at this point.
0: Yeah, I am I am really shocked that you can find what is described as a gravesite and whole human bones underneath a family cabin of a man who has kidnapped and sexually assaulted at least three teenagers. And threatened to kill them. And threatened to kill them. Yeah. So, again... Man with a History of Kidnapping and Assaults, both in 1974 and 1977. We have another young woman missing in 1976. We have bones at a cabin. And we have witnesses say that he killed someone and that she was Mexican and that no one put any of those clues together. It seems like you would have to try really hard to not put that together. Like this, it just completely astounds me. Now, I know I'm being like super critical because I am looking at this from a, mm-hmm. a a lens that is further back that can kind of see all of these things and kind of put them together. And so someone said to me when I was presenting like this list of things, they were like, well, how do you know that police weren't working on building a case against him during this time? And how do we? Largely because police were considering a completely different killer for a while. Mainly because police were considering another killer for a while. And he had killed two tweens in Oregon. And because he briefly lived in California around this time period, that seemed to them like a possibility. And so they were not pursuing this angle at all. And I do understand that we have some different county jurisdictions here different police organizations like working the same thing but like if two teenagers are picked up in west covina and a body is found at this or remains are found at this guy's family cabin and they said that he had killed someone who is mexican and there's someone of mexican irish descent missing from covina How does it not get put together?
1: Right. And even if they don't connect those two things, when somebody says, hey, my friend said they killed this Mexican girl, wouldn't you be, oh, okay, let's investigate that. Exactly. So maybe they wouldn't put it together at first, but shouldn't they be at least investigating both
0: cases at this point? Right. And really nothing comes of it for a very long time. It's not until 2009 that the skull and rib bones, they're connected through DNA testing.
1: Okay, so they did keep both those
0: parts. Yes, so they realized that that is not two separate instances, but one. And they label that victim Jane Doe because she has no identity. So she's one of the unidentified. In 2011, Tim Staub, who's the lieutenant in charge of the detective bureau in that region, he decides to reopen Cynthia's case. And she's their longest missing person's case in Glendora. So they're going back and trying to clear up these older cases. Okay. Around 2014, he says that their investigation led them to San Bernardino, and the San Bernardino Sheriff's Department took over the investigation. It's likely then that they had started to consider Cynthia as a possibility because they collected DNA samples from both Cynthia's mom and her sister. Okay, so we're starting to put the pieces together. Yes. And that's how they identify that this Jane Doe is in fact Cynthia and that she had actually been found many years before. And where's the killer at this point? The killer, they soon identify him. No one makes clear how they make that connection, but maybe someone was like, hey, the these pieces fit together. Mm-hmm. He's now a 61-year-old inmate at the California Institute for Men in California. Okay, so he has been in prison for... Quite a while. No. Oh. Oh. Okay. No. He was just out living his life, and just happens to be in prison now. Yeah. So he had been arrested in May of 2011. So he'd been in prison like what, three, four, well, five years. Okay. And he's in prison for making and selling counterfeit products, specifically importing about two million dollars worth of counterfeit Disney pins, um, for which he had received an eight-year sentence. And how much did he receive for the kidnapping of the two girls? It seems like pretty minimal amount of time. Couldn't find much information about that, but.
1: Okay. So yeah. we're
0: better kidnapping people than making counterfeit Disney pins. Do, you, do not mess with Disney. Okay. Is what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. While he's in there, you know, he confesses to Cynthia's murder, which is how we know some of what happened that night and how that went down. He's sentenced using the sentencing guidelines for the 1970s. So while he's given life, it's technically seven years to life, which means he can go on parole. Nice. So we've already kind of like through a lot of the stories we've covered already.
1: Mm -hmm. Quite a few of them took place in like the 60s and 70s. Mm -hmm. Where it didn't seem like a really great time for police to like solve things. Or for jail time to be uh, equivalent to the crimes. So why are we going back in time and using that, the standards that they would have used in the 70s when we we're convicting him?
0: Yeah, so you, ha- it's, you actually have to use the...
1: You do have to do mm-hmm. that? Okay, I did not know that. I thought yeah. it would be, like, can't, can't we modernize that so
0: it fits what the crime would get now? Yeah, well, I mean, that gets complicated, right? So, like, what about times that they were harsher on drug sentencing but
1: yeah i don't know i feel like it should be up to standard times and i feel like if somebody is just like out wandering around free can we just give them like a few
0: extra years to like make up for that like like a little bit of back pay like like interest on it in this case like what that means is he started his sentencing for her in 2016 And that means that in this year of 2023, and I cannot believe it's been seven years since Mm -hmm. he was eligible for his first parole hearing this year. Ew. Did he get it? No. Good. And I mean, I just think that there's so many weird gaps in this story. And to me, like, it doesn't make sense that it took this long. And when I think about Cynthia, like, I think a lot about her family and When I first encountered her story, Cynthia was both a missing person and a Jane Doe, but I only knew the one part of it, her missing persons story. And at that time, she'd been missing for about 35 years. And her family had been living with her absence like that entire time with no answers. It's just a sad situation. Yeah. I mean, I often will describe missing and unidentified persons cases as like a puzzle where the pieces don't match up as much as you want them to do. Like, if only we could just, like, click them together. Mm -hmm. But when I think about Cynthia's case, it feels like a puzzle where all the pieces were there all along and no one was putting the puzzle together.
1: Right. Everything was overlooked.
0: Yeah. And around the time of sentencing, the man who would have been her stepfather, he said that he and Gloria had relocated but that they kept the house in Glendora as a candle in the window in case she ever returned." That's so sad. And that's the reason why I wrote these poems in the first place, and we are telling these stories because we don't want to forget these stories or their families, and we want to shine our own light in some way to help call attention to these cases. So I'm incredibly grateful that her case has been solved and that Her family has some knowledge of what happened to her, and I hope that other cases get resolved as well.
1: We are now going to listen to Amy's poem, The Fox Twin Theaters Plays the Omen, read by actor Gabrielle Ruiz. Gabrielle is best known for her starring role on the CW series Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. She's also been in Better Things, Modern Family, Law & Order SVU, Orange is the New Black, Mr. Mayor, Star Trek Lower Deck, Spidey and His Amazing Friends, and the feature film Sex, Love, and Salsa. She will next be seen in the upcoming feature film Man in the Long Black Coat, opposite Christopher Lloyd and Dermot Mulroney. Gabrielle has also performed on Broadway in roles in If Then, Evita, In the Heights, and A Chorus Line.
3: If something frightening happens today, it means the earth moves in circles. On the screen, a woman hung from a window, and the bearer of fire was in the shape of a black dog. She let popcorn dissolve in her mouth as a man died by the cross, as a woman fell from the stairs. And the words, the child is dead, echoed through the theater. Somewhere, Swans swim on a river, and a comet fills the sky, and here, outside the theater, she walks on a sea of knives, the night thorn-dark, heavy with the sound of leaves. Here is our hope. The star of Bethlehem will destroy all the sons of tumult. You are one day closer.
0: For more information about our show or to check out other shows on the network, please visit evergreenpodcast.com. Bye, Vanessa. Bye, Amy.
2: Listen at
3: scamsandcons.com or wherever fine podcasts are found.